I want to tell you about a podcast you should check out. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Urtube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. The latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and it busts common myths about special education. As a parent myself of a child who's had an IEP since kindergarten and he's now a 10th grader, I know how confusing, overwhelming, frustrating, sometimes daunting the whole process can be. I checked out an episode of Understood Explains called The Difference Between IEPs and 504 Plans. And what I love about it is how easily Juliana explains everything. She answers common questions that probably every parent or caregiver has. She dispels myths and is concise and to the point. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. And there's a direct link in the show notes if you need it. when we go through situations like this, we are changed. And I think it was really powerful for me to acknowledge that and to say that it is, it makes perfect sense that the person I'm looking at in the mirror is not somebody that I recognize right now because who you are before and after are two very different people. You're listening to Make Some Noise Podcast, episode number 536 with guest Cindy Spiegel. Welcome to Make Some Noise Podcast, your guide for strategies, tools, and insight to empower yourself. I'm your host, Andrea Owen, global speaker, entrepreneur, life coach since 2007, and author of three books that have been translated into 18 languages and are available in 22 countries. Each week, I'll bring you a guest or a lesson that will help you maximize unshakable confidence, master resilience, and make some noise in your life. You ready? Let's go. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I am so glad that you're here and that you came to join us. I have, per usual, another amazing interview for you. But before we jump into that, I wanted to let you know that my current one-on-one coaching practice is full. But if you wanted to grab a spot for the fall, I know a lot of people like to jump on in the fall. It feels like you know, new year a little bit, especially if you have kids and the school year starts and things just kind of shift and you need that support. Maybe you're going through a transition. Maybe you have a hard decision to make. You are feeling stuck. Any of those places. I also do consulting as well. If you head on over to andreaowen.com slash consulting, you can read about the services that I offer there. But if you think you might want some support, head on over to andreaowen.com slash apply. That's where the coaching application is. Sometimes even just filling out that application can help you get clear on what it is that you're looking for. And then we'll be in touch and we can take the next steps from there. So on with the show, shall we? Today, I'm bringing you uh, a woman that I found on social media and I absolutely loved the name of her Instagram handle, which you'll hear about it in in the 
in the episode as well as in her in her bio. So let me tell you a little bit about her. Cindy Spiegel is a born storyteller turned writer. She's an aspirational voice and an igniter of powerful conversation around self-acceptance, integrity, and joy. She's a former fashion executive, adjunct professor at Parsons School of Design and Fashion Institute of Technology, and holds a master's of professional studies. She's also a TEDx speaker and a certified yoga and meditation teacher. Her honest storytelling, vulnerable self-inquiry, and penchant for swear words have made her a sought-after speaker for conferences, brands, and organizations, and she has been featured in publications such as Forbes, Glamour, Teen Vogue, and HuffPost. She currently lives in New Jersey with her very handsome photographer husband, two cats, way too many patterns, and an excessive number of houseplants. She's the founder of Dear Grown Ass Women, an inclusive and highly relatable social community for women, 35 plus, and she is also the author of A Year of Positive Thinking. So without further ado, here is Cindy. Cindy, thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. It's my absolute pleasure. I'm excited to to jump in. And I, I, I want to start kind of with your story a little bit, because I know that like many of us, myself included, 2020 kind of was hard for you. So can you tell us what happened? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't even know if hard is the right word. It's, I don't know what the hell it was, but in 2020, um, as we all went into this global pandemic collectively, I did what everybody did or what Instagram told me to do, which was make banana bread, practice yoga, watch a lot of TV. Um, and that's what I did for the first three months. And in May 2020, as Black Lives Matter took the global stage, my 32 year old nephew was murdered walking to a friend's house. That's the kind of thing, that sort of tragedy that doesn't actually happen to you. It happens on TV. It happens on podcasts. It happens everywhere else, but it doesn't actually happen to you until Mm. it does. Within four months of my nephew being killed, my beloved mother uh, passed away unexpectedly. Mm. Uh, Within a month of that, my brother, who was in his 40s, had a stroke and then went into cardiac arrest and spent the next 10 weeks in the ICU. So again, all in the middle of a pandemic. Um, by the grace of God, he made it home. And within a month of him coming home, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. Oh my God. So all to say, I that was bad. I don't even know what you call that. Like that sort of compound, lo- there is a name, right? It's compound loss, compound grief, but it just felt like the world, every, the world as I knew it just, just fell out from underneath mm-hmm. me. Um, and as somebody who's always been an optimist, I did not even recognize myself. And honestly, I'm only just now starting to come back to myself and to recognize myself. So that's what my 2020 looked like. Damn. Yeah. (laughs) So had you already started your community uh, with uh, with grown ass women, yeah, yeah. So pr- prior to that, I wrote a book called The Year of Positive Thinking. I'd I'd launched oh, um, <laughs> I'd launched Dear Grown Ass Women on September 11th of 2019. So it gotcha. was Pretty six new. months before yeah. all of this happened. Yeah, we had this mm-hmm. massive event in Palm Springs at at the beginning of March, and then a week later, the world shut down. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I, I had launched that. I had launched it at that point a few months prior. So had you ever had anything tragic like that happen before? Or was this all sort of a new kind of experience? Oh, yeah. No, I don't. I, that sort of thing. I mean, God willing, I won't go through it again. I hope right, that most people don't that. experience that multiple times. No, I mean, I've had plenty of difficulty in my life. But I think this 
sort of tragedy and truly trauma mm-hmm. um, because not only were was this happening on the global stage, but it became deeply, deeply personal. This was the first time that a, a, a sort of series of events like this ever happened. Yeah. Uh, and hopefully the last time, but I think whether it looks exactly like it did for me is pretty unlikely, but there are many scenarios that I came to learn about where many people go through situations where yeah. there's this series of unfortunate, that's putting it mildly events that happen, you know, um, and so at no point did I ever think like, why me? It was just like, well, shit, this sucks. Yeah. You know, well, and that's kind of what I, where I wanted to ask you, like, it, like, how did this, if at all, how did it change you in terms of really anything, but more specifically, if it changed you in terms of what you teach or how you teach it or your perspective on things, like what were your biggest takeaways? Yeah, I think you know, part of it was everything that I've done up to and prior to this was very much about self-exploration. Mm-hmm. So this this was a continuation of that. And one of the biggest learnings was really saying like, it is okay that you are a different person today. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter that I'm 45 years old or from 55 or 65, seven, it doesn't matter, right? Like when we go through situations like this, we are changed. And I think it was really powerful for me to acknowledge that mm-hmm. and to say that it is it makes perfect sense that the person I'm looking at in the mirror is not somebody that I recognize right now because who you are before and after are two very different people and I also really shifted you know as I said before I've always been an optimist I've always had this big giant personality my optimism and my joy looks very different today than it did, you know, in 2018, where I wrote mm-hmm. a year of positive thinking. Yeah. Because when I was going through this, you know, and I say this all the time, I could not positive think my way out of where right. I was. And there was never, there was never a thought that I should, but I did for sure. Um, yeah, I, I just really had to shift what I could access within mm-hmm. me at any particular moment. So can you say more about that? Like, what what do you mean? Because I know that there's people listening, you know, I get, I get a decent amount of, of people who either share with me on my Instagram DMs or, you know, when they're filling out a questionnaire to, to possibly work with me privately. And they, they mention that they've lost a parent or, or someone that they love within, within a fairly short amount of time within the last six months or, you know, two years. And it's interesting to me that I think sometimes when those moments happen, it shifts something and people start to go through a transition. So what was, was that, is that kind of what you were pointing to? Yeah, I think it was, I I mean, I don't even know if a transition would be, that feels like it's putting it too lightly. Like we, we are changed in so many ways. So yeah, I think it's understanding your relationship to the world as the person you are today, right? Whether it's parent loss or child loss or friend loss, whatever it is, you know, you've existed in the world up until that point, being someone's daughter, someone's mother, someone's Mm -hmm. whatever, that relationship, insert relationship. And when that is removed, right, that relationship is removed in the traditional sense, right? There really is a lot of questioning that happens. And it's not questioning that we hear about a lot. And by the way, when I talk about loss, it's not always to death, right? There are relationships Mm -hmm. that are severed. There are careers that we used to have that we no longer have. There are many ways that we experience loss. And we don't necessarily spend enough time thinking about how that has shifted who we are. Yeah. You know, and and for me again, it was somebody who 
I'll always have a giant personality for sure, but it's gotten a lot quieter. You know, Mm -hmm. it's gotten a lot quieter in a way that is really empowering for who I am today because I no longer feel the need to put on this facade of like outlandishness for the sake of showing folks who I am or showing up in the world. Like I am simply changed. I so appreciate your transparency and I've I've never heard it talked about in that way. And, you know, I, I lost my dad in 2016 and he was the first person I ever lost, you know, to that extent. And for me, how I would answer that question is like, it profoundly changed the way I think about grief. And it was, it was certainly, you know, I've told my, my community a million times, I got the word surrender tattooed on my arm in my own handwriting as a reminder that I'm not in control of this. And it's Mm -hmm. such a, to me, it was such a metaphor for just life in general. Like I don't, I'm not, I can control some things, but for the most part, like I'm just on this wild roller coaster of life and I just have to write it and and do with it what what I will but the more I try to control it the more it's going to kick me in the face. Mm-hmm. So kind of switching gears and um I know your book is called Micro Joys Finding Hope especially when life is not okay. So talk to us about micro joys. Like what mm-hmm. what are those and how do you incorporate like how are they helpful for you? Yeah. So a micro joy, what I've come to call a micro joy, these easily accessible moments of joy that exist regardless of our current circumstances. Mm -hmm. So for example, when my nephew, when we were preparing for my nephew's service, right, my family and I were kind of, we pulled out old photo albums and we were looking at those and we started through tears laughing hysterically because we were able to instantly bring ourselves back to that moment when he was five years old, when he Mm -hmm. was eight years old, when he was 10 years old, when he was graduating high school and he was a funny kid. Right. And so it really got me thinking later about what was that thing that I was able to access even while grieving, right? How was I able to laugh? Because that's not something we're told is acceptable, right? Right. That's not something we've come to know is acceptable when we are moving through loss of any kind is to laugh or to find joy in any way. Mm -hmm. And so it would show up in situations like that. Or, you know, I would be walking down the street and notice new flowers blooming in spring, or I might be having a conversation with a stranger at my local cafe. These are things that can seem very ordinary, Mm -hmm. but they're actually quite joyful when we pay enough attention to them, right? And what they are are these moments of respite that break up everything else that's happening, right? When you were in the midst of grief, it doesn't serve you or me or any of us to sit in it 24 hours a day. Yeah. Right. So these moments, these things that exist, regardless of what we're going through, like the conversation at the cafe or the flowers that are blooming anyway, right? Those are all micro joys. They're not something that you have to reach very far to access. They are not something that you need to really find. They're always there. We simply have to notice them. Mm-hmm. Now, what what was your understanding of micro joys before I sort of shared that definition? I had a feeling I, I knew what it was and I follow you on Instagram. So, you know, I cheated and, and I know, but I, I, I love that. And I think for some people it comes a little more naturally. I want to, yeah. I mean, don't you think, mm-hmm, and I others do. have to to work at it a little bit. And I don't think there's anything wrong with you. If you're the type of person that, that has to work at the, the great news is, is that, you know, mm-hmm, <laughs> and you mm-hmm. can focus on it. But I do that when like, I find a really great parking spot. I'm yes. like, <laughs> 
<laughs> micro joy, <laughs> regardless of what else you're going through. Yes. Yes. I mean, even if I'm already having a good day or like I find a dollar, like I wave it yes. around and I'm like unexpected income. I'm a yes. money magnet and just <laughs> silly things like that. But yeah, I, I think it, especially I want to just emphasize what you said when you're in some kind of difficult time or if you're in grief, I try in this community to bring a sense of humor to personal development because mm-hmm. I talk about shame a lot and like mm-hmm. the inner critic and that can be some heavy shit. A hundred percent. Well, I want to take, I need to take a quick, quick break. And when I get back, I want to ask you about advice that you have for women who are on the verge of a big change. So we'll be right back. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent with sometimes hilarious and always thought provoking experts and friends at Mindful Mama. We know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a no guilt mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Guilt Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. I know that a lot of people listen to this show who are, some of them are just, you know, like they like to have personal development in their ears whenever possible. Hey, glad you're listening. And then there's others who are like, they have, you know, stepped down. I was just talking to somebody yesterday who had just stepped down from a position in her work to take kind of a sabbatical and like see what's next for her, or they are changing careers or, you know, they're, they're empty nesters, you know, all these different examples of, of big change. So, so what advice do you have for women who are like on the precipice of that? Mm. So the first thing I would always suggest is to really consider what it is that you're hoping to change, mm. right? Because we get to this place where we know where we are, isn't where we want to be. Like when I left the fashion industry 15, you know, 10 years ago, I knew that wasn't where I wanted to be, but I also didn't know what I was expecting. Right. So I, that that first question really is a little bit of like what what it's exploring where it is you do want to be. Yeah. So that you're not just floundering when you make mm-hmm. these big decisions, right? It's okay if you are, right? Many of I did. Yeah. Um that's fine, but if you have some semblance of understanding of where you want to be, it will make the journey to that place a hell of a lot. I don't want to say easier because it's still going to be hard. <laughs> right. Um but a little a little bit easier to navigate, you know? Yeah. So first getting clear on where it is that you want to be. And then and then considering um who the folks are in your sphere that are there that you might be able to tap into and talk to. You know, I often ask people, like for instance, like say someone has has left or you know taken some time off of their career and they they want to change and they're not sure what they want to do. And I ask people like, 
what, how do you want to feel? You know, what, are, what mm-hmm. is, what is the feeling that you're, or the experience that you're after? Cause it's usually not about the thing that we want or the job or like the partner right. or, you know, it's like, what are you, what are you after? It's like, and what do you, how do you expect it to feel? Cause that might mm-hmm. not actually happen. Like, are you okay with that? Or could you get that feeling from somewhere else? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I, I, that's the question I like to ask people and ask myself sometimes. I mean, even when it comes to like, like sex. Yeah, I was mm-hmm. listening to a podcast and there was an expert that was talking about that. And and she was saying, like, how do you want to feel during during intimacy with someone? Like, do you want to feel connected? Do you want to feel alive? Do you want to feel passionate? Like there's all these different things that's u- unique to people. So mm-hmm. I love that. I, I love just kind of slowing down in the inquiry. Yeah. And I think the inquiry, there's a lot I think the inquiry doesn't get enough respect, right? (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Like the inquiry needs more respect. This takes time and it takes a lot of the inquiry leads us to a place of unlearning, right? It takes us to this place of saying, wait, who am I today? And like, who do I want to be today? Mm -hmm. And so I love this question about how do I want to feel? Because maybe you don't know exactly where you want to go today. Right. Right. But you, you very likely know how you want to feel today. So I think that's a, yeah. just such a beautiful question, you know? And you definitely know how you don't want to feel yeah. because you wouldn't have left whatever you're or doing. be in the process of leaving. That's right. Right. Exactly. Like what's not working there, you know? What's what, yeah. What are you, what are you tolerating that you don't like anymore? Mm-hmm. So I want to circle back to, you mentioned that you were, you had a career in fashion and then you completely changed trajectory. So did, did, were you in that place or what happened there? Why'd you make the change? Yeah. So I was in fashion for 15 years in New York city. I was traveling around the world world, you know, business class around the world. It was a beautiful glamorous, life. Glamorous, glamorous, Very glamorous. I left. Uh-huh. It was, I actually left. It was 2013 New York Fashion Week. It was a beautiful life. And I knew that it no longer was serving who I was growing into. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was, I think when I left the fashion industry, I was 35 or 36. I, I was don't just going to ask you, were you in your thirties? Yeah, I was. Yeah. Yeah. I was 35 or 36. And at some point in my twenties, and then again, in my early thirties, I um, did a few yoga teacher trainings, never with the intention of teaching yoga. That was, I had a job, I had a career, I had an education focusing on what I was doing. Um, but what I will say, one of the biggest learnings for me was was this question that shifted everything. And it was the question of who are you beneath the titles? And it's a question, Mm. by the way, I'll never have an answer to, but I will constantly be seeking an answer Mm -hmm. to that. Like, who am I when I'm not somebody's daughter, when I'm not, you know, this person that works for that company, when I'm not, you know, someone's wife, who are you beneath all of that? Um, And that question really shook me to my core. And it was a question that I couldn't unhear. Mm -hmm. And I remember during fashion week and just in, in that point in my career in general, I had a spectacular job. It was a very enviable job for anyone who Mm -hmm. wanted to do what I did. I just remember thinking what matters to the folks in the work that I do does not matter to me. Yeah. You know, what mattered to me, even good for them. Yeah. There's Mm -hmm. no, and that's important, right? Because there's no judgment around who they are versus who I am. But there was this real sense of, I no longer align with the work that I'm doing or the community, the work community that I'm a part of for whatever reason. Um, and so when I left, I didn't know what I was going to do. I, I just knew that I had to leave that to figure out what was next. And eventually I went on to uh, teach at FIT, which was my alma mater, the Fashion Institute mm-hmm. of Technology. I then um, 
took on a teaching position at Parsons in New York City. So there were all of these beautiful sort. There was this confluence of events that really sort of shifted the trajectory of where I would go because I never, I never really thought of myself as a teacher. I never, I just did my job and I did it really well and I connected with people and I understood how to simplify concepts. Um, but teaching really shifted things for me because it made me sort of understand how important it was to be in conversation with folks often. Mm -hmm. And so I went from working in the fashion industry to initially teaching about fashion at FIT, then teaching about team building and relationship building at uh, Parsons uh -huh. to design, you know, to design students. And to this day, like so many, actually, I just went to an art exhibition, part of teaching at an art school. The beauty of it is that these folks go on to do this amazing creative work. But I was just at one of my former students' art exhibitions in New York City. And she said to me, you know, she's like, you have have no idea how you taught me how to human in the world. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I know that's not what our class was about, but you taught me how to human, how to show mm -hmm. up, how to be in relation to people. Mm -hmm. And in hindsight, you know, and again, these are these tiny things that I think happen to us that we don't necessarily, we don't have the perspective to observe them when they're happening. Right. You know, but we see them in hindsight is like the experience that I had teaching college students makes perfect sense for the direction that I'm in today and the mm -hmm. kind of work that I'm doing today, which is very much in the space of self-exploration, right? right? I don't, I say this a lot. I'm like, I don't have answers for you. Yeah. I have no prescription for how you should live your life, but I am an expert at my own lived experience, mm -hmm. you know, and I can share and I can lead by sharing with you what I know and what I've done and what I've seen and asking you questions to support you in figuring out your own way, but mm -hmm. not because I have answers for you. And I think it was similar to me teaching, mm -hmm. you know, at, at both schools where I taught, which is really inquiring and having my students saying to them on the very first day, you know, I don't have the answers but I do have questions and we're going to talk about it together. Even if this is a strategic design program and you didn't know you were coming in to do this, this is what we're going to do. Yeah. And so to hear many years later, the impact of that just reminds me why I do the work I do today and why I needed to leave the work that I was doing a decade ago. Yeah. And, and the inquiry is that is life coaching 101, yeah. you know, it's like you, you do, you direct the client to learn about humaning in their life by asking a lot of questions instead yeah. of having all the answers. I want to ask you on that same note though, because I think sometimes we can, we can hear people's stories of, you know, the example that you gave of a pretty massive career transformation. I had one too. I was originally, not a whole lot of people know this, but I got my associate's degree in fashion merchandising from a fashion school in, in San Diego, honestly, because I liked clothes and didn't know what else to do. Like I had mm -hmm. no direction. <laughs> Yeah, And I worked as an assistant buyer. I did some really fun things, but ultimately it was not the industry for me and then ended up in the fitness industry and then ended up here. But I, I think that sometimes we can hear these stories and they seem seamless mm -hmm. and like so fun and paved in gold. Like were there challenges along the way that you wouldn't mind sharing? Yeah. I mean, I think for me, there was always a friction that I just didn't have the language and I wasn't aware enough of. There was a friction between, you know, in some of the conversations that I would have, the things that matter to people that didn't matter to me. You know, I remember, and again, at the time I was working in luxury fashion, the things that would bother people, 
Mm-hmm. You know, Anna Wintour would walk into our office for any, well, I'll let you Google if you don't know who she is, but she would walk into the showroom and it was like people would scatter. And there was just this relationship that people had and this hierarchy that mm-hmm. was acceptable, that was never acceptable to me. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that that's very common in the fashion industry. It's very common in industries, and I think probably many spaces in art in general, but there was just a friction there around yeah. a lot of that that never aligned with me. And I had to get to a place in my own life where I recognized that I need to make a decision around it. And I think for many of us, we know when something doesn't feel right, but we mm-hmm. we are sort of programmed in a way to move through the world, make make things as easy as possible. So just brush it, off, for brush it off, brush mm-hmm. it off, brush it yeah. off, brush it off, brush it off until we get to a place where it's like, you know what? I don't want to brush it off anymore. This is not what I believe in. These, these are not the kind of relationships I want to have. My job wasn't difficult. There was nothing outwardly that anybody would look and go, oh, she needs to do something different. It wasn't, right? I wasn't mm-hmm. miserable. Mm-hmm. I wasn't. And I think that's important to know too, right? Because sometimes I think when we hear that somebody pivoted, it often feels like they were in this terrible situation and it changed. I wasn't in a terrible situation. I was in a perfectly acceptable situation. In fact, it was a beautiful situation for many people, but it wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. And that's ultimately what it comes down to, you know? So were there, str- I'm sure there were struggles along the way, you yeah. know, like anybody would have working with other people, but there was no massive shift for me where I said, I have to get the hell out of here. It wasn't that. It felt much more um, natural. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it just felt like mm-hmm. it's time. I've done, like I was working in Tuscany. Like how beautiful is that? <laughs> working with these makers who do these fancy shoes and accessories. It wasn't going to get any better. Like yeah. this, this was it. And if this didn't make me feel like I had, it, like that, like I was happy, then I wasn't going to be happy. And mm-hmm. I was very clear on that. You know, when you reach a certain place in your career and you can recognize with perspective how incredible it is, but also recognize that it's not necessarily the same for you as it is for other people, mm-hmm. that's a powerful place to be because then you can shift. Yeah. You can ebb and flow, you know? Yeah. I had a I had a similar but very different experience in, in Southern California. And I was very young. So when I was an, an assistant buyer for a chain of surf shops, and with 40 plus stores and I got to go to trade shows and rub elbows with the people that worked at, at these, these surf companies that are very well known. And in Southern California, it's, it's, it was a very cool girl job mm-hmm. and it was awful. It was mm-hmm. awful. Like I, the only thing that kept me there was being able to go to these trade shows like twice a year. And it was only twice a year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm like, this is stupid. This is stupid. Right. And I also saw the people ahead of me where I would get promoted to these positions and make a decent living. But I saw how many hours they worked. I saw how their lives were. I knew that, you know, and this is, and and this is, I'm generalizing, but like the, the men's buyer was having an affair with his assistant and it was just like drama. And I'm like, I don't, I don't want this life. Like this isn't where I'm meant to be. And I, it, it's interesting that I was able to, to recognize that at 22 years old. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then I ended up partying through the rest of my 20s anyway. It took me a long time to get here. So if anyone's listening, it takes a long way. I see you. <laughs> um, we're going to take one more break. And then I want to I want to ask you about positivity, specifically about toxic positivity. So we'll, we'll be right back, everyone. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. 
Correct. Sometimes I'll wear my kids kind of, Mom. <laughs> well, you're aiming more of a, we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, Mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co., and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, You'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. All right. So your, so your last book was about positivity. I know both of your books are, are about that, but you stress that, and I love how you say you're allergic to anything that's toxically positive. And, and we, we talk about toxic positivity over here. So where do you see the line between what is helpful positivity and toxic positivity? Yeah. So I think there's positive psychology, which is actually a branch of science. Like it's there's right. data, right? There's mm-hmm. research behind it. It's not just about thinking positively. Um, and then there is toxic positivity, which is what I often refer to as the good vibes only culture. Yeah. Because I'm like, and it was what huge world? like 10 years ago like, for, for many never, years. I've never, ever liked that saying because I'm like, in what world do you live in that there are only good vibes? Yeah. And what sort of bubble or cocoon are you building for yourself and those around you if that's the expectation? So I think where the line in the sand is for me is when I'm no longer allowed to feel anything other than. Right. In life, Mm -hmm. we are going to feel the spectrum of emotion. Some of them are, you know, feel positive. They feel, I say this in quotes, good. Right. And some of them don't. Some of them are just shitty and tragic and sad. And so that line in the sand saying that I can only feel one way is incredibly toxic. And it is dangerous, I think, because then we are suppressing all of these emotions that we have that are inherent in the situations that we're going through. Um, And those emotions will come out one way or the other. They're either going to come out in a way that's healthy or they'll come out in a way that's not. Mm -hmm. And toxic positivity to me is this idea that you should only feel good. And if you don't feel good, then there's something wrong with you. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and micro joys on the other hand is saying, listen, you, there will be times when you feel great and there are going to be times when you don't, how can I find joy anyway, despite what I am going through, not stop feeling that way that isn't quote unquote good so that you can feel good. Right. Mm -hmm. It's kind of, I I say this a lot. It's holding grief in one hand and joy in the other at all times. Mm -hmm. Positivity is holding goodness in one hand and happiness in the other at all times. Not the same thing, you know, not the same thing. I, it's interesting. That made me think of when 
you know, I was in pretty deep grief after losing my dad and I, I wrote through a lot of it because that's how I kind of make sense of things. And if I'm going through something difficult and I can't, can't deal any other way, I just sit down at my laptop and, and write. And I, I wrote some poetry and in a strange way, I found not to me, they weren't in two separate hands. They were together, the mm-hmm. joy and the grief, because yep. I find so much joy in writing. And it was a way for me to kind of mix the two. Um, it's almost like putting lemon juice and sugar together and like mm-hmm. mixing it up with some water. Mm-hmm. And somehow it worked and it was simultaneously excruciating and at the same time brought me joy. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what it is, right? It's saying in life there are, and you're, a few people have said this, you know, sometimes it's in the exact same hand. And I'm like, yes, that's true. Yeah. Right. Sometimes we can hold these things separately. Sometimes we can step out of what we're going through and feel this other way. Sometimes it's all mashed up together. Yeah. Right. It's the, it's the lemon and the sugar together. And, mm-hmm. and, and that's that I think of lemonade. I don't, I don't, is that yeah. what's in lemonade, lemon and sugar, right? Lemon, sugar, and water. I'm pretty sure that's it. Yeah. <laughs> right? It's that simple. Which actually, I'm going to side note for a second to say that that statement that I just made sounds as if I'm trying to um, find a silver lining, which is another thing that I think gears on toxic positivity. So please know that that's not what I mean by lemonade. (laughs) Um, But yeah, sometimes it really is, right? It's it's having both of those things at once and feeling your way through both of those things at once and understanding that the messiness is part of it. Yeah. You know, the discomfort is part of it the messiness. It, it is messy. Well, I also want to ask you about Dear Grown Ass Women, which is the yes. platform that you built for women 35 plus. So why did you specifically mm-hmm. pick that demographic? Yeah. So I, I think I think there's this expectation that it's a really interesting, fascinating answer. Truth be told, it was because I was 35 <laughs> when I left my job gotcha. and my career. <laughs> but I'll tell you why it was so pivotal to me that moment in time is because I lost a lot of friends. So mm. many of my friends were in the fashion industry. Mm-hmm. And when I left the fashion industry, I was like, well, what am I going to talk to these people about now? And as an adult, as a grown ass woman, you know, I, I did, where do you go to make new friendships? Where do you go to build new relationships? If you're not in similar spaces to what we are now, Mm -hmm. you don't go to bars to pick people up. You don't go to libraries to pick up new friends. Like it really becomes, we have these built in relationships, whether it's through church, if you go to church or if you're a parent, maybe it's, you know, the, the children. How do I say this? Team your sports, kids, yeah, yeah, or mm-hmm. your kids' friends' parents. You know, right. there are all these sort of siloed relationships that you're put into that you weren't necessarily your choice. So, right. dear grown ass women, I really chose the demographic of 35 because it was such a pivotal time for me personally, but also understanding that it really is difficult to build new relationships and change our habits mm-hmm. when that's not anything we've had up until that point in our lives. You know. Yeah. So can women join who are under 35? Because we no. do have some of those listeners. Oh, you have no. to, it's, it's exclusive. It is. It's fairly <laughs> exclusive. But what I will just say, I often get that question or, or DMs in our inbox. And I'd say, we're going to be waiting for you. You know, we'll be yeah. waiting for you. We'll save you a seat. Yeah. And and there's no, um, there are so many places for folks sure. to go that are mm-hmm. 35. But, you know, we'll we'll wait for you. We'll, we'll hold the yeah. spot. Well, I do think it's it's also a different conversation too when you get into your 40s, especially yes. late 40s when perimenopause, you know, we talked about that briefly before we started recording. Like, yep. this is a very different conversation I'm having with my friends now who are in our late 40s, early 50s That's right. than we were having when I was in my early 30s. It was, it was right. different. 
very different. Well, and it's fascinating, right? Because there is this weird cutoff. Like I've also had the question where it's like, well, why isn't it 40 and older? You know? And to me, there's this weird place at 35 where you're still floundering a little bit, right? Because you're like, Mm -hmm. well, I'm not really in my early 30s anymore, but I'm also not quite 40. So it's interesting, even, you know, when we do events and things, the conversations or the questions that come from someone who's 37 versus someone who's 47 or 57. Because truly, there's a lot that we have in common, but there's also a lot that we have to learn. Yeah. Right? And so I think being in that space is incredibly supportive for folks because to your point, it's like you're having conversations now that you were not having when you were 30. One of the things that I love about, and I've talked on the show several times about how I've struggled with aging in just terms of like my appearance changing and how beauty and youth are currency in this culture. And when it starts to go away, we kind of, some of us like grapple with our identity and things like that. But I love, I do love the confidence that comes with this age. I I think, I don't know if it is inherent for everyone and it looks different for everyone, but I do, I just think we kind of run out of caring so much. And for those of you that are younger who haven't experienced that, I can't wait for you to experience that because it is freeing. (laughs) Well, there really is, right? There's this sense of also life has happened with and to you at some point. And the more you live life, the more it's happened with and to you. And as it does, we start to realize what matters and what doesn't. Right. Right. So we've just lost this need to please, not all of us, mm-hmm. but I think some of us, right? We've mm-hmm. lost to some a need to please everybody else because in many ways we know what's more important. Yeah. At, at 45, you know, what I say today and what I say when I'm 55, God willing, will be very different yeah. because I will have evolved and I will have had a lot more life happen within to me. The more we get comfortable with understanding that our identity is going to shift and evolve, the, again, I hate to use the word easier, but the easier it will be to navigate. Mm-hmm. I think maybe smoother. Is smoother. The word. That's, that's a nice word? word. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. Well, we'll, a we'll word I can't think it. of. We'll, we'll, we'll keep <laughs> going. We'll keep going with okay. this. <laughs> well, I have loved this conversation so much. And I just want to say, I know that, that listeners, you can't see her, but I am on video with Cindy and it's bringing me a micro joy to see that your nails, your shirt, your earrings, and your lipstick all match. <laughs> They don't actually. These are orange, but you can't. They are well, very from bright. on Zoom, it looks like it at least is all like in the same <laughs> um, color thing. It's just this so aesthetically true. pleasing. It's bringing me joy. <laughs> so thank you for that. I do colors. And, and is there anything you want to circle back to, to to make sure that you say in order for you to feel complete before we end this podcast? I'll just repeat what I said a little bit earlier about micro joys, right? They are these easily accessible moments of joy that exist regardless of our current circumstance. And the reason that that is so important is because it, it, it really means that you deserve to touch joy even when you are struggling. Yes. And sometimes that means holding all of it at one time. Mm-hmm. So nothing more to add to that. Just a reminder. You deserve to touch joy even when you are struggling. I love That's that. Right. Tweet that, everybody. And <laughs> is there like where do you want to send people so they can learn more about you? I know that your your book, we will have that link in the show notes, of course, but where else? They can come to my website, which is at Cindy Spiegel. I am also on Instagram and LinkedIn at Cindy Spiegel. And I'd love to meet anyone there. Awesome. And the platform is Dear Grown Ass Women for Women 35 Plus. Thank you so much for being here. And listeners, you know how grateful I am that you come here and spend your time with me and my guests. And remember, it's our life's journey to make ourselves better humans and our life's responsibility to make the world a better place. Bye for now. 
Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. I would be so incredibly grateful if you haven't done so already, if you could leave a review of this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Super easy if you already listen to your shows over there. Um, But if you don't, or maybe you have the app on your phone, but you listen to the show on a different app, if you could leave a review for this show, it matters so much. I wish I could express how much it matters. I also wish that it didn't matter so much, but alas, it does. So if you haven't already, please go review and rate the show. It would mean so much to me. And thank you so much. I hope you have an amazing day. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.